0: Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Hey, we've got a very interesting show tonight uh, on a subject that I have somewhat in various shows covered, but I hope to do it more thoroughly tonight. And it really has something to do with even my own life, but it's, uh, it's something that has gone back in time for ages, actually. Uh, and that is trying to understand the incomplete use of kundalini energy. Now in more spiritual language kundalini energy when it is raised in the human body is called chi. So some of you may have heard it from that name but that's only when it's actually raised uh in the human body and let me talk about the energy in general and then I'll talk about what raising means and the whole kind of the whole kind of subject okay? So, to begin with, uh, energy starts off in an elementary way. It has little, if any, consciousness that we would identify as being so, and it just wants to pretty much hang out with its own kind of energy. So energy likes sticking around with other energy, similar to itself, and literally sticking is a good way to call it because we call it gravitation. So energy causes this effect by its own thought, which is so limiting that it only wants to think one way. Hey, let's get together with more energy that's kind of like I am. And the more it does that in any dimension of time space, it creates uh, a form of gravity. The gravity is not the same from one major plane to the next and even somewhat different in subplanes as well. It has to do with the idea that, again, the quantum constant is changing and other factors come into play in the physics. But the most important is the energy itself uh, starts off being relatively undeveloped. And so in this elementary-type way, Almost all gravity is constructed of that type of energy. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the mental plane, in the mental world, or you're in the physical world. Everybody thinks of energy as being just a physical thing, but there is actually energy that's astral, and there's energy that is is mental, or some people call it monastic. But those kinds of energies are actually, in some ways, Even less responsive to even other energy if they're in a higher plane, which is kind of odd. So, what we would say is that gravity goes down, which is a little hard for us to follow. Gravity goes down as you elevate yourself into higher planes or even subplanes of existence. And so, that's kind of an odd effect. And it's caused by the fact that the strength of the energy thinking of only itself, actually goes up as it becomes more and more dense. (laughs) So it confuses a lot of people because of that, and it seems contradictory, but it really isn't if you understand everything I'm teaching tonight and, of course, a lot of other stuff. All right, so trying to get a handle on this stuff is, well, what's what's controlling the energy if it just wants to gravitate? Why isn't the universe one big? Solid thing. (laughs) It's nothing else around it is anything else because it's just like a like a super super ball of pure energy. Well, what is controlling that difference from what it would have been is that there is spirit. Spirit attempts to get energy to work with it to help create life. Energy is a relatively unwilling participant in this. Uh, Depending upon what plane we're talking about or subplane on that plane, energy can be rather resistant to cooperating and therefore create uh, such high gravitational effects as to curtail life or make it very difficult for life to continue to exist. Uh, It's a toughie. And it also makes resistance for any kind of movement. You should be aware of what I'm saying, that it's not just about gravity itself, but energy resists movement. It doesn't increase movement. It's the spirit side of things that gets things able to be somewhat intelligently reactive. And all of the energy comes from the third part of God, which is called intelligent coordination, intelligent uh, aspects to the energy itself. And that is borrowed from or helped by the, uh, the spirit. Spirit is like the consciousness of God of sorts. Some spirit is far more conscious than others. And it tries to intermingle with energy so that life can be developed. And so they kind of have a cooperation between the two of them. As long as we're not working in the very lowest realms of a very dark place, Earth might be considered some of that, at least in the physical world. And their spirit doesn't have much of a chance with the amount of Uh, energy and gravity that exists, spirit has a very difficult time getting energy to turn into intelligent coordinated responses with other energy. Because intelligent coordinated responses are responses that are based upon the development of life, which is what God's trying to do. But God can't directly get involved because if God did it all, guess what would happen? Nothing. It would be right back from the beginning, and you never, it would never go anywhere. So if you're going to create real growth, uh, God has to stay distant and allow the spirit, which is a different thing than God itself, to be the intermediary in attempting to get energy to be intelligently coordinated instead of a lot of gravity. That kind of makes sense if you think about what I'm saying. Well, all right. So what does that leave us with? Well, we've got this thing called the spirit of earth. The earth itself, the planet, earth as spirit. And the spirit in the physical part of that dimension, of of this earth where we are, is trying to affect mostly energy that's in the physical form. And what it does is it attempts to get that energy to become fully spiritually cooperative so that life can develop itself more correctly, more balanced, more givingly, uh, and more cooperative and sharing, and at the same time more intelligently cooperative. So all of these things are coming about because there's a spirit of the earth that's, a, that's involved in it, and that's kind of like a big spirit. There are other elements of spirit besides just the spirit of Earth that collectively even have greater effects, but only collectively. Spirit of the Earth has like a very significant amount of of effect for its position in the whole situation. And energy is fairly uh, cooperative and uh, doesn't uh, balk too badly when the spirit of the Earth is involved. Spirit coming from an individual person or from a group of people, that's a much smaller uh, amount. And the energy, in many cases, is unresponsive in our world and in this dimension. So that's a fascinating idea. The spirit of Earth, though, doesn't just work in the physical dimension. It works in the astral and the many instinct dimensions as well. And most people are unaware of that fact. Now, it it doesn't have as much to contend with in the astral or the mental dimensions because the energy itself is not as gravitating. It doesn't uh, misbehave so much. And it will go along easier. And so the spirit of Earth, while it is stronger in the physical world, it actually is more successful. <laughs> They're getting energy to do the right things in the astral, and particularly the manasic or mental worlds. And so we can see that this is a kind of uh, inverted process, you can call it. And generally speaking, uh, the question of what this show is about tonight, as far as kundalini is concerned, doesn't come up until more advanced humans, humans are around who are trying to use this uh, spiritualized, fully spiritualized energy in ways that give them a higher level of consciousness and feeds their bodies in ways that limits the amount of other forms of prana that they may need and even can replace those forms of prana over a significant length of time. Generally speaking, those people are called spiritual disciples. Why? Well, because they have to change the energy inside of them by producing a higher spiritual effect from their deeds, from the things they choose to do, and how much they cooperate and share, how much they love others and give to others what they need in order to become more giving, and how much they create truth in their mental minds and that truth goes towards creating a sense of enlightenment in the mental body, which is a very big thing. It eventually becomes something called soul consciousness. So all these things are, can happen by getting enough of the Kundalini energies, which are being affected by spirit, to follow not just the spirit of the earth but to follow the mind of people who collectively may work together to do this very thing, or they may do it somewhat individually depending upon who and when and where they are. Now, all that sounds like a good thing. People would say, well, if it's all true, it doesn't sound so bad to me, I don't. what's the problem? Well, here is the problem. Humans aren't perfect. They'll start to raise this kundalini or chi energy, and it, there's three different parts to it, and the three different parts of the, of the energy have to do with how much how much consciousness it takes to control the into each part. So it's subdivided in three parts because because the part that just does the etheric physical stuff uh, is the easiest in some ways to control because that part. Is closer to where the spirit of Earth is, and people can tap into it a little bit easier. But when you get to the astral dimension, it becomes a bit more difficult to get the energy specifically to follow what exactly the spiritual disciple wants to do. So they have to increase their own consciousness to make up for the difference. And finally, when get the mental world, if they're raising the Kundalini all the way to that level. They've got to really focus on their consciousness to get the energy to do what they hope to do with it, which is to be of service to other people. And so these are called the three different levels of Kundalini energies, and or Chi, if you start raising them on a conscious level and they twist around each other they form like little spiral but not spiral twisting motions around each other as they are put together in this in the different dimensions they are uh, very effective in improving the senses of people almost immediately and they also have a great effect on being able to connect with other people in their senses to build cooperation and sharing. So it has a very big, we'll say, purpose. And it's a good thing. What happens to screw this thing up? Well, people aren't perfect. (laughs) Sometimes they raise the kundalini and they raise more of one than the other two or two of the three. And they don't do it in a correct, even way. And that produces some rather serious problems. When that starts to occur, uh, the person uh, starts developing radioactivity, just like we think of radioactivity in some of the kundalini energy. And literally, that radioactive energy is sometimes called called split kundalini or just plain. Uh, fallen kundalini that's not working properly and it stays in the person's body instead of being given as an energy to cooperate and share it becomes an energy of destruction within their own senses and their own bodies. This is a very serious problem for more advanced spiritual disciples because they start working at very high levels of this stuff and it can kill them if they don't take care of it properly. And another thing that's a little bit strange to listeners, might might be anyway, is that when you start getting into spiritual disciples, they don't work alone. They work together. There's three different levels that they're working together at, but they're still working together. So what happens to one affects others. And even worse, what happens to one affects the teacher and or leader of a particular group much more than the other people on an individual scale. So it has some collective harm to the structure of a group itself, and that's not a good thing. It doesn't seem to happen very often or very much in what are known as first first level initiate groups where they're mostly concerned about the etheric physical world and how they can make people work together and help, help them to work together and save the world in various ways. And, they usually work in large groups, and they, because of that, a single person seldom has a lot of negative effects on things. And it kind of nullifies most of the bad effects from people not perfectly using Kundalini energies, which they don't. But the, because of their limited consciousness, it doesn't have the same effect. Now you get to the astral, where the astral Kundalinis are. And that second level initiates mostly use that energy, and they work more together in relatively smaller groups. And then you got a problem because uh, what one person does has a significant effect on all the others, and a very, very significant effect on a teacher of one of those groups and a leader of one of those groups. Very bad effects on them because they take the brunt of it. The teachers can literally be killed by it. And the uh, oftentimes the leaders get ill. So you have some serious outcomes, <laughs> to say the least. And this is the most dangerous time because a lot of people fall out from those kinds of groups and become a member of the dark side. Where did it come from? There are spiritual disciples at the second level. They're using kundalini's, maybe not so great and all the time, and their consciousness is higher than most other people's. And suddenly they shift to going to the, the dark side? Yes. That's because the kundalini itself that has been raised takes on a toxic position to them. It, it destroys part of their thinking processes, and they literally invert good and evil. So you, they think that the people that are good around them are evil and they think that the people that are bad are good. Well now when you're into that position you're headed for the dark the dark side. And the dark side feeds on this. They 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 get most of their really good, we'll call it people that they can run and control but still have enough consciousness and enough senses to be of value to them. Uh, they like them a lot, and some of them can become dark masters, uh, and they then hang out and live in the in, in the lowest part of the astral world while they're not in physical incarnation. And after a while, they don't take physical inc- incarnations or, or almost demeter. So really, this is where people who get messed up with this whole thing usually during the second initiation, oftentimes towards the end of it, not the beginning. Uh, fall into this really bad place, and can you do anything about it? Probably, no. <laughs> On planets like Earth, there isn't a lot of hope because Earth has these these dark ones have taken a permanent residency and created their own sphere called the a sphere, and they don't they they don't uh, concern themselves about how much light there is in the world. They're only looking to get enough quote-unquote people to become their slaves so they can take energy from them and use them as a weapon against good, light. And that's the plan. That's what they do. It's an unfortunate plan because it puts everybody at serious risk. And there's more and more spiritual disciples that fall into that category because the number of them has arisen again. It was much larger before this period of development on Earth. But most people don't know about the earlier periods. So, And even in them, it got pretty bad. But it's, it's pretty bad today. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. All right. So the... <clears throat> The raising of kundalini is, should be a considered a good thing, but in spiritual groups it can be fatal for some people, and there's lots of consequences for the actions that people take, so it's a, it's a real difficult thing, and kundalini is complicated, so it's not easy to teach it, and most people can't even remember what they're taught about it, so t- and teaching it doesn't solve the problem. I've I've seen people that could repeat almost every word I said so far in the show, and they are on the path of darkness. So it's a weird thing. Knowledge alone doesn't solve this problem. As a matter of fact, there are many cases where knowledge has become an aggravator. So more knowledge is not a solution. You've got to be more loving, which is more conscious, to see how to plan better, and you've got to do give to others as they need so they can give more themselves. That kind of thought process and behavior tremendously will lower the disadvantages of afraid to Kundalini and will prevent people from falling victim to the dark side. Humility is probably the single most important thing you can get, you can build in yourself, to prevent this. If you are truly a humble person, no matter how many mistakes you make with Kundalini or almost anything else, you're never going to go over to the dark side. You're always going to try to help and serve people even if they don't necessarily respond because there's a lot of evil in them. But you're still that kind of person and you're not willing to quit. So it's a, it's a, there's a lot of differences. Do physical things affect Kundalini? Sure if you use drugs, most likely your kundalini is going to go off the charts. Why? Well, now we get to the real complex problem and that is that kundalini is prevented from being raised in people until they're ready to use it for service. And the only way that that becomes compromised is if a person decides to destroy the webs that don't allow kundalini to be used in any way between the bodies until a person is spiritually developed enough to be a service to others. And normally those webs are there as a result of their selfishness, but it, it does do something really good. It blocks the kundalini from connecting from one body to the next, it allows people a safety margin so that it won't contaminate them and will destroy them and or lead them into evil so there's good reasons to keep these boundaries between each of the bodies now the bodies do tend to dissolve okay uh, when you're sleeping they tend to which makes it easier for you energy to move across the different dimensions and that's why you can sleep and go to three different dimensions in the same night not not be not be adversely affected by it but they almost immediately rejoin before any consciousness is connecting between the bodies uh, which would also be connecting any kundalini that was already developed and so that's that's why it's good to keep them up until you can you don't need the barrier because you no longer use your we'll call it consciousness to take from others, and you no longer are using your planning with that's consciousness with the thought principle or the way of creating uh, cre- creating new um we'll say ways of thinking and put those two together so that you can actually enlighten yourself rather than to screw yourself up. That's a good thing. All right, so the barriers are there so that you can have a reasonably safe life. Guess what screws them up? Drugs. Drugs are the favorite source of the dark side because there are quite a few of them uh, the numbers keep going up almost by the weekdays, and just, a lot of them are just being manufactured by people, but some of them are being discovered, and there's a whole slew. And what they do is they break apart and dissolve, just like you're awaking, awake but sleeping, um the barriers. And when that happens, the kundalini moves freely between the bodies while you're still conscious. That's extremely dangerous. When you do that, the chances of getting out of it very low, The chances of becoming a part of evil in some way or fashion very high. And so you can see that drugs are a serious problem. Now, does that mean that everybody that has ever used a drug any time has suddenly become grossly evil? No, it takes a little while for some. But the point is you don't want to test that. You don't want to try and say, well, I'll do it for just a couple of months and we'll see what happens. Because by the time you see what happens, you don't care about that. And then you're addicted to both the drug, but even more importantly, you're addicted to the effects of this, we'll call it, contaminated kund- kundalini energies going up and down your bodies. That means at the chronic levels in your bodies, are now seriously compromised. Your aging process will start going up many times. Uh, So you're gonna age much faster. And the, and many, many other chemistry, chemical, physical things start taking place, all of them pretty much very detrimental to the person it's happening to and to anyone else has contact with them, actually. Uh those kinds of people, the best thing to do is to avoid them because you really can't you can't stop them and uh if they also have some truly mental problem that's like schizophrenia or something you could isolate them and keep them in some place for a while while you claim to be treating them for a mental problem, but at the same time you're getting them off of the drugs now, the biggest problem is that drug. Abuse uh, takes years to correct, whereas interestingly, mental problems takes months if you really know what you're doing. So you're better off having a mental disorder than having a drug addiction because that's probably a much more long-term and a very very serious problem. So you can guess where the dark side spends a lot of their time trying to screw up humanity: give more drugs, more is better, too much you never have. It. Yeah, that's where they're at. Now can uh someday we solve this problem with other methodologies? Yes, I may talk about those in tonight's show, but I, I, I want you to understand they're not tomorrow. You're not gonna wake up tomorrow and say, Oh, guess what they discovered? <laughs> you know, it ain't gonna happen. This is a this first of all, the idea of kundalini and all that stuff is so much almost completely into ageless wisdom in, in metaphysics, it, it's not recognized by any scientists that I'm familiar with. So, you know, you're dealing with the wrong end of the stick with them. They, they don't care. They just think that it's all a chemical thing. And so if you tr- introduce counter-chemicals, you solve the problem. Well, that has yet to come to view That has not been found to be true. I mean, there's been a lot of BS about it all over the world, but none of it's, true. It's just made up by the dark side <laughs> to convince people, well, don't worry, you can always take this other thing and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, the one of the problems obviously about raising Kundalini is you become more sensitive to anything that you do wrong with its use. So, you're almost better off if you're gonna be kind of backward and even maybe use drugs or whatever, to never raise your kundalini. Because you don't wanna you don't want to just make it a lot lot worse, so it'll be somewhat worse. But so what I'm saying is people with low levels of consciousness that are not well developed and haven't raised their kundalini that use drugs are gonna be less affected, not more, by the drugs they use. That doesn't mean they're gonna be You know, super swift people or anything, they'll be able to get have more of a life than otherwise. And that's kind of counterintuitive. A lot of people may disagree with what I'm saying, but I'm telling you the truth about it as best as I can. All right, so this stuff gets pretty deep. (laughs) For a lot of people, everything I've said so far is like, what is he talking about? This is so far around. I don't even. But it really isn't because there's a lot of practicality to this. Uh, People who want to spiritually discipline themselves, part of that discipline has to be in how to handle kundalini, how to both effectively use it properly and how to not raise it when you're not using it properly and how to never give up control over it to either drugs or anything else because it's very, very serious, and it's a big deal. Now, you can ask, okay, and I ask sometimes, well, how, how can we best use Kundalini if we're not using drugs and we're in pretty good shape? What's the best plan for its use? Well, there are several that we can talk about that may or may not Make some listeners happy that I'm going to talk that I'm talking to. And that is uh, one of the areas that uh, Kundalini energy becomes confused and, and kind of upset in is in uh, same sex sexual experiences. Because when people have sex with somebody of the same sex, I'm not talking about what they think of themselves, or self-designated, or any. Other. I'm talking about people of same sex, okay? That have have sex. They're giving back and forth energy, and inclusive of that energy is any of the kundalini that they have raised in themselves for spiritual work or for whatever good deeds they've done. And just because they are having same sex sex doesn't make them terrible people so they may have done a lot of good things and they may have actually raised some of that kundalini but that's not such a good thing if you have same sex <laughs> with Kundalini energy is raised it seems counterintuitive I know but people do that uh, because normally you have to give the energy in the phase and uh, in the correct spin it's a little hard to explain this um, because I don't want to go into a whole show on that tonight. I don't have time. But so you have to give it back as your partner needs it, so that they can give back energy at your sex level. Okay. So your sex level is either male or female, and theirs is either male or female. That works fine. But what happens if both people are the same sex? Well, neither, neither can give the proper amount of energy in the right direction to the other person it can't be done because they aren't giving it lovingly by changing the phase relationship and the kundalini would be changed in phase as well if there is some so you can't change that so you are flooding a person with the wrong form of sexual energy and the wrong type of kundalini Ooh. So spiritual disciples who have same sex are much more destructive to each other than just the average person. Because they don't the average person doesn't have any race couldn't worry about. And so they're damaging their bodies and it's gonna take years, maybe maybe decades before they're gonna say, Well, this isn't working so good. Look, we all both age and we're both both unhealthy. They could live long a long time, maybe. A few do. But usually their, their level of sense and health are, they're screwed up bad. Okay. Then you get to the question, okay, so then how do you, what do you, what do, you do in this situation? Well, the, the real problem is over time. And the longer that it's practiced over time in a person with Kundalini, the more the effects are vastly destructive to both people. Very, very bad effects. Particularly if they're both relatively high consciousness and they're, they're att- because consciousness is being reversed in this case and they're affecting all of the energies more with their higher consciousness. So weird as it sounds, and I don't mean to belabor this, but if you're a high consciousness person, you go find the lowest consciousness person, even though you're not going to get anything out of it. So the the point is that that will probably create less damage than not. But it's kind of a really selfish, crazy thing to think of it that way. Because if you know that much, you may be even more culpable. <laughs> so talk about a kind of feedback loop that doesn't work out too good. Uh, it all depends. All right. So can is, is kundalini then? Really, really dangerous for people who are abusing their bodies in whatever fashion. I'm just using, I used a sexist just now as an as a example. Yes. So the more kundalini that you raise because you're trying to be of service, say you're in a spiritual group, the more dangerous it becomes to abuse the energy and your body and that of other people's bodies. So... Again, people with relatively low consciousness and aren't spiritual groups are fairly safe. But the people who are, oh, terrible things can, can be the result. Okay, so some of the other problems. I use the sex as an example, but that's not the main problem. The main problem actually comes into when people have raised two out of three or more, all three, if possible, but the two out of three of the kundalini energies because they twist themselves around each other as they move in and out and up and down, literally, the body. And it's this twisting around that creates an unusual, strange effect, particularly in spiritually disciplined people to some extent. And that is the following factors start coming into play. Okay, the kundalini is twisting itself around, and it's it's just cheese stuff now. It's, it's a thing that really is replacing food and energy from other sources and all kinds of things. However, when you twist it, when it starts twisting, because there's at least two of the three energies available, the body starts becoming abnormal open to all kinds of diseases, to all kind, yeah, and really weird ones. Things that like nobody ever gets, right? All of a sudden, you got a disease that you've never even heard of before, and all kinds of other things. This can also happen to people who are teachers of advanced groups because they get <laughs> they get the fact even if they don't do anything, because they get it from their students. <laughs> okay. Oh, talk about a bad deal. All right, so so you you get all kinds of weird, rare diseases and rare kinds of uh, uh, sensory adversities and things that just don't make any sense. That's what happens. So that's a really difficult thing. And who are these people? They have like two of these. They're usually psychologetics. That's why they are. And this second-level initiation, people can spend dozens and dozens of lifetimes trying to get through it. Isn't that incredible? Because of this very thing. Because they're starting to raise two two different of the three kundalinis, and that just starts to wreak havoc on their lives and on their senses and on, their, uh, on diseases and other things that will become ultimately fatal for them. That's a very bad outcome you know and this is this is the kind of serious stuff that you really don't want to have to contend with but if you don't understand it how do you correct it so that's why I'm talking about it tonight you know you got to kind of understand it I've done shows on this before but I did it more technically and I didn't really talk about the the total effects very clearly i think today is a better time to do that and although it sounds terribly um well, we'll call it a uh, it really has an unusual degree of fairness. And I want you to bear with me for a few minutes here about this. You're in control of yourself. Nobody's doing this thing to you. It isn't like, oh, let's give them a line of kundalini today so that'll affect them. No, it has nothing to do with anyone other than you and the people you choose to interact with. There is no one else controlling this situation. To me, it seems like the absolute fairest thing you could ever have happen. If you talk about karma, you know, this is, this is people being in control of their karma. They're, they're making their life the way they choose it to be, even if it's subconscious and they don't understand this stuff, which I'm trying to bring to a full level of consciousness, so that people will probably, possibly, have a better chance of changing it. And I'm hoping that's true. That's the reason I'm doing tonight's show. All right. Well, let's. then what is going on? How come people just don't stop all this stuff and and say, wow, this, I'm in a great position. I've got all this energy that I could be using to be of service to other people. I All I have to do is remain humble. I'm I, I group conscious and serve with all the other people that I can serve with, and everything's going to be great. What the heck is going on then? Well, there's this little weird thing that people have that the the sensation, the sensation of having the power that subconsciously is going into yourself through the kundalini is a very major, major, Sense of self-satisfaction and and addiction to getting more and more of that. A lot of it starts with the astral body, but there is still some of it coming from the etheric, physical, and, and the monastic and the low, at least the lower mental, and the three lowest sub sub world uh, sub sub planes of the higher middle. There you get uh, the, these anomalous circumstances that. People want to feel that in themselves and their, their sense of wanting that experience, which is really, it begins mostly in the astral body. It's for people who have not broken the common monastic connection. So they're controlled by their desires. And once they get this feeling like they're just, everything is, they're just so, it's so wonderful to them. Uh, they become addicted to that feeling and until most of their glamours are broken, they can't get out of it. So they go through lifetime after lifetime after lifetime as a second level initiate and not really move anywhere because this thing is constantly coming up. When you say, well, Howie, why don't they just listen to you? Why don't they become more humble? Why don't they become group conscious? Why don't they want to serve others? What's going on? Why don't they do all those things? Well, in some ways they do want to do those things, but they're so hooked on the sensation of the rise of the kundalini, at least to the astral level, and that gives them such a sense of thrill, we'll call it, and so much a sense of meeting their desires to, that they feel important inside themselves. That's what, that, it's a sense of self-importance, lower self-importance, uh, that they are truly addicted to it and act out. And you can say, well, why can't they become humble? Isn't humility the answer?" Well, oh, sure it is. But the problem is humility is replaced by this desire. And breaking the desires is very, very difficult. First, person has to struggle with that to develop more and more humility. But humility is also a mental condition, it's not an astral. So what happens is you have to break a good portion, if not all, of the common monastic connection so that you can have the humility to get rid of the uh, addiction to the this, to this spiritual feeling like i'm doing something important i'm really important i really know me. I'm great you know and that's what the that's what the, the elevated but distorted kudalini does in the astral body in the mental body it starts developing inheritance and so com- compositely all the stuff i'm talking about the feeling the desire etc is connected eventually this is a later stage eventually to arrogance, and the arrogance blocks all truth because the person no longer cares about truth, and so you can't break apart the arrogance by just saying, "Well, I'm going to be humble." You have to actually stop being arrogant, and then you gradually become humble. So they kind of go, "You know, it's a real tough process, and difficult for most spiritual disciples." So where does that leave us in terms of, like, why do people, some of them go through 50, 60, 70 lifetimes as a, as a second level spiritual disciple and keep repeating these craziness? Okay, so how do you break it? How do you absolutely, totally break it? Well, uh, it may take some really unusual circumstances. Uh, you may have to go into a group of other crazy people doing the same thing. To encounter in them, to see it in yourself. And that's that's part of the process. It is one of the corrective factors. That is usually tried after the middle of the second initiation. If you try it before that, it doesn't work out. <laughs> but after, that's what sometimes is done by the soul now. The soul is choosing these lifetimes. And so it, it gets, and this is a soul with a solar angel that helps us. All. And so you get this cr- crazy thing going on now that. Really, people—the the people have to wait almost to the time where they're an advanced group. They're almost trying to get through the second initiation. They're so pretty far along, and they have failed maybe fifty times before that. And they've developed a lot of arrogance, and so the arrogance has to be broken through. You've got to take that and turn it into truly being uh, loving, conscious, which develops. Uh, whole truth we call it, which is a, a form of love wisdom in the in the mental body, and that type of effect leads a person finally right at the, usually the beginning of the third initiation into doing these really critical renunciations of the misuse of their senses, and that is part of the kundalini breaking the kundalini problem because as you faced these renunciations, of 18 renunciations, getting rid of the senses in your bodies that are misused in the wrong way, okay, so you renounce them. As you renounce their use in a particular way, which is always involved with, with uh, astral and mental or what we say glamour, and uh arrogance together problem. And as you break those apart, hundreds of glamours fall away and uh, dozens to maybe a hundred different ways of being arrogant are cut off to you and humility starts coming through. Boy is that a tough process. And that's when you start becoming safe because you will never become evil after that. But you go through all of the renunciations you've wiped out the connection between the two bodies in the wrong way and you will only live a life that is a good life. And those people are, they're not going to join the dark hierarchy. They're not going to commit evil acts. They're not going to uh, be arrogant. They're going to be at minimum little teachers and sometimes they will become a big teacher even before they reach the next initiation. And so lots of good things happen only problem is that it just takes so darn long. Uh, I'm, you know, we're talking about a lot, a lot of lifetimes wasted in this whole process. Granted, it gets better, faster, less lifetimes wait- wasted as you get into the third initiation, but and, and that doesn't take very many at all compared to the second. The second is like, oh, bad. And these wasted lifetimes are a serious problem here on Earth. Because our plan is it doesn't even exist that way. And here we are in a world where this is the the known way of people doing things. And almost all the spiritual disciples in this world go through some part of this. Especially during the second initiation. Well, that's a horrible thing. Imagine 60 lifetimes doing these crazy things. Uh, it just, it's it makes no sense, and it is really, really take, it takes a toll on each soul. And that is, attempting to, each person's soul who is attempting to join with their soul. It's a very bad thing. Of course, there's only one person per lifetime, one personality. But the personality in these situations has turned itself into a complete nightmare instead of what it's supposed to be. We'll talk more about that when we come back. And for right now, I think we will go ahead and go to break, and we'll return, give or take, in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading?
1: It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general.
0: Kind of a novel? What do you mean?
1: Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down.
0: How come the title is Afterlife Love?
1: That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained.
0: But how can anyone write about or know that?
1: Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hon, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want.
0: Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by
1: Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the wise, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart.
0: back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Well, tonight we're talking about uh, a real difficult subject because it has been the bane of most spiritual disciples at some point in, here on Earth. And Earth is one of the more uh, difficult places this, in this arena in the entire universe. It's a really difficult place. Why is that? Well, uh, you're going to find this you're going to find this probably hard to believe, but you
2: came here,
0: your soul came here because you wanted to face the problems of this program and of evil in general. and you knew that evil was being weirdly encouraged to come to this world instead of some other planet. To have a showdown because uh, the way it was invited is by accelerating the development of human beings by two times or one half the speed that they need to usually develop in, twice as fast. And evil knows that that's a sure winner for them. If they get in here, they're going to be able to get control over a lot of humans and enslave them and that's what they live for so unfortunately it was an invitation to them but it was also an invitation to some very uh we'll say reasonably experimental souls who wanted to try to defeat evil under the most difficult circumstances yet devised because believing doubling uh doubling the amount that evil has an effect on people, because that's another way of looking at it. a pretty serious problem okay I mean, that's, that's that's a biggie okay so how how do we deal with that then because we're stuck with it right now I mean this is it, and as I've said in many, many prior shows, oh the next hundred hundred fifty years is almost going to tell us everything. And I know that sounds. Oh well, you're just alive today, and you think that. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, 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 I don't believe that to be true. I believe it's based upon what I construe to be a method of scientific investigation that it would take about that much time for evil to reach a point where it's in total control of the planet, because it has to be in totally in control of people to do that. And that doesn't mean that evil is going to continue to have a Base of operation, but within a few hundred years of that time, uh, the planet will be destroyed through several different possibilities. But I don't, I don't look forward to this very difficult world being destroyed. Instead, I would like to see the opposite outcome. And we're, the group I'm working with, are working on some of those solutions. Some of it includes, believe it or not, this idea of being able to shorten the the second initiation to maybe five or ten lifetimes instead of sixty, which is insane, and put it back into perspective with the rest of a person's existence here. so if, if people don't have to live so many lives to become enlightened and to become a more spiritual person rather than a darker type of human that may eventually become victim to evil. And the way I see it is in the next hundred years, as I've been talking about there are changes that I'm familiar with because they're part of something, some part of the plans of the spiritual hierarchy I actually had some level of input to. And you can say, oh, yeah, sure you do. You don't have to believe me. It doesn't really matter. But the point is that the the options that I see are to make sure evil can't expand itself using some of the science that I'm helping to develop and the teachings I'm helping to do. And at the same time, the rest of the world has to take notice of those things for the right purposes and gravitate towards them, even if they don't understand all the spiritual factors. That's the most critical thing that I have come to the conclusion about. We're not going to win. We being the good people of Earth aren't going to win this. Uh, if we have to wait for everybody to suddenly become some kind of grand spiritual disciple who has a complete understanding and can teach a show like this anytime they feel like it, I think that's, that's impossible. There is nowhere near enough time for that to happen. But what if we can just get people to do a little bit of change, which is what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes here, involving things like this kundalini problem, which I don't even know about, and get them to make small changes that collectively make big changes. And the way to do this is through education, but not the education that is presently available because it's been almost completely taken over by the dark side. Education in the public school system and in some private schools, but mostly public, is controlled entirely by people who are progressive and have more than progressivism. They have a need to be anti-God, And that's a real serious problem. Not that progressives are for God, but some of them aren't (laughs) anti-God. They're not out to see make sure that nobody's going to be believing in God now. And a good portion of them are, and unfortunately the majority of them have chosen uh, teaching. Because the teaching gives them power and authority over young people, and they want control. They want the power and authority. So I and others have come up with plans for reaching some of these people, independent of the educational system to begin with. uh, In some cases, and directly in the higher educational systems, uh, but only select few, uh, as soon as possible. And the process we're looking at to trying to do this will have a direct effect on. The misraising of kundalini energies and the adverse effects that so many spiritual disciples and some people who aren't yet spiritual disciples but are starting to get to the path, who are followers of wayward spiritual disciples. And the wayward spiritual disciples in many cases have a lot of power and control because they run schools, because they have... Uh, they have a, 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 a big name in Hollywood or some other factors. They're along different ray focused lines, but they still intend to do the same thing, which is to uh, invoke a progressive understanding that God is absurd and doesn't exist. Both. Okay, so how do you disprove all their stuff? Well, we've got our ways. And we've come up, and we're still coming up with more. Uh, The object is not to have a battle with them. The object is to enlighten people in the ways that they are comfortable with, not the ways that they necessarily gain the most uh, consciousness or that will make them greatly spiritual, disciplined people, if not necessarily going to happen. Uh, It's not going to lower, uh, if they're already a spiritual disciple, all the kundalinis over right now. But it will, over time, I'm talking 50 years, 100 years. This is not a small thing. It will, over time, uh, create a weapon, so to speak, against the negative, hostile Methods of raising Kundalini in ways that are very very destructive and that are destructive to others Remember it isn't just a question of being destructive to yourself It's trying to control other people and destroy them unless they follow what you say or those that you believe in say The dark side is fighting
2: very much
0: against the things that we're doing But they're pretty impotent in stopping Uh, some of them at this point they still can if we screw up and that's our biggest problem but they independently would find it extremely difficult to do much of anything so really it's up to us to make sure that we're doing the right thing so they can't don't have a door to walk into and say well you're over with because we've fixed your wagon and they can do that if we don't watch ourselves so how is that what does that mean in terms of these energies that are getting raised in people how how does it someone who is a worse than just a progressive they're a progressive who wants to control and get rid of god how do you get that person to change their thought processes and the answer oddly is counter-education counter-education is by providing better more explicit more clearly understood answers about the lies that are inherent in the present educational system some of this also falls into entertainment which falls into the fourth ray factors the same thing is applied there there it's about beauty itself being aesthetic and reaching a two to one ratio. That's a whole other thing. I will go into the depth of it tonight, but but that's part of what we're doing. And then there's science, which is a fifth rate. That requires certain types of mathematics as a partial proof. It also requires theories that can be demonstrated to be correct through certain uh, experiments that will be suggested and even labeled and explained how to do the experiments to prove or disprove what we're saying and once that's all put out there with the math if you don't have the math nobody's going to do it anyway but if they have the math and start supporting what we're saying and then they say well they're challenging us to test this so let's go test it they gave us the how what had to do we have to tell them what to do so we have to tell they are never going to figure it out but we'll say if you do these 10 things and you put this in this kind of accelerator and you do this and you're going to get this result, which is counter to what you believe. And they go do it and they'll say, hey, we got that result. Uh-oh, we better get some more information from these folks because apparently they're onto something. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about for science. Now, you might say, ah, people tried it, it never works. No, it does work. It, it, it just hasn't been really tried. You have to understand what you're dealing with, what you're up against. You can't just say, Oh, well, I put it out there and nobody's ever checked it out. No, you can't do that. Of course, they're not going to check it out. You get the dark side hammering away. You got, you got people's egotism involved all the time. Yeah, you got to do something a little more creative than just that. Come on. Okay. Where else can, are we doing something? Well, uh, a little bit in the seventh ray arena of, a sort of, we'll call it, business approach uh, that is enough to make the assets that we need, the money available to continue to go on. Uh, so we got to put some stuff out there that might be attractive for people to expend some cost money to them on to just either have it or look at it or whatever it's going to be. And then in terms of, like, the first-rate stuff, you know, Super creative? Well, we're really good at that, but you can't use much first ray in a world like this one. You end up usually with the dark side uh, winning the battles. Now, you might say, well, why is that? Because other people are too afraid of it. So the dark side gets people extremely afraid to even fight them because they just couldn't do that. So maybe that could be a real difficult problem. And the first ray is not going to be focused on Earth at any time in the near future. All right, so you can say, okay, well, that's out. Uh, what about the sixth ray? Well, that's uh, that's faith, faith-based religion. It's also beyond faith. It's uh, it's non-faith-based religions, but it's, it's, it's the belief in God, belief that God is the supreme being of the whole universe. And that this God has a purpose in wanting to grow more of life without it controlling that life so that the life is just a puppet show. Now that ray has been out since eighteen seventy five, hasn't been focused on us. Uh, because it was in for quite a long time, but it kinda of led went its chase and left. But now the reinvention could come, which it's coming back in, uh, suddenly decided upon by the spiritual hierarchy, uh, it, it give or take 2050. So, okay, if it's coming back in in 2050, and the fourth ray is coming back in right now, it'll be fully in 2025. You don't have all, all these feminine rays, <laughs> two, four, six, what? Yeah, two, four, six. And, you know, that's a lot of, we're five, is the, fifth, is the fourth ray. And the fourth ray is being intimidated, has been intimidated by lies instead of truth. And we can deal with that one. That one we, so we have a method here. And you can say, well, what happens if you get all these female rays going on? And, well, it's going to bring in the six sub-rays. That's a faster... It will also support the development of a more equal, not the same, equal equality between the two sexes. Uh, unless you want to believe that there's a third sex called the LBGTQYXZ. But it really isn't. But if you want to believe that, it doesn't really matter. It's going to have equality. Equality is different than uh, being the same, and it's somewhat in opposition. But the opposition is used to become more beautiful rather than ugly, to become more free rather than confined, to become more aware of our creator instead of denying its existence, and to become more generally loving in vastly different ways ways than we presently are today and so all of that kind of goes back to what the show is about how are you going to get people to become more loving well i just making an argument here that that's how you go about it and it kind of fits what we're doing uh we're doing even more than what i said but i you know some of what we're doing i'm not even letting anybody know about yet because I don't want it to become defeated by being too open about what we're doing. And the dark side likes to have knowledge. It doesn't care about much about consciousness, but it really wants the knowledge. So knowledge, is, knowledge can be a good thing, but it's completely open to how it's used. Uh, unlike love, which is not. You either love or you don't love. Okay, there are different levels of love, but love is love. Love is the givingness of someone, which is consciousness and in planning and that sort of stuff. Whereas when you talk about, well, if you're talking about whether something is or isn't uh, in a capacity of leading someone, in a direction that is going to be helpful and and serve other people, then you can't have a process in which somebody can just ignore the outcomes and to be confrontive and even destructive to the designs of other people. Now, can we live in a world where there's all this anti-God, anti-anti-love, anti-consciousness, anti-anything, can we live in that world and survive? And the answer is for not much more than about 100 years, because survival will end when humans can no longer be free enough to create for themselves, and that's Uh, it's one of the reasons capitalism is so important, and most of socialism and communism is extremely deadly and destructive. Of course, it it eventually becomes imprisonment. You're, You're either locked up in your mind and spirit, or you're physically locked up or shot. But I mean, that's the outcome. And the poor people in Hong Kong today, in the last few days, 1.2 a million, 1.2 million people are protesting in the streets. That's a lot of people. And it's only a matter of time before the communists come in with tanks and start shooting them and killing them, of course. But the interesting thing is that this scenario I don't consider a terrible thing. It, it's bad to consider that that many people may die. I don't think they'll kill more than a quarter of them or so. But the point is, whatever they do do, Will finally expose them for who they are, and that helps. Uh, they are hiding it as best as they can. That they're, you know, evil. It's just we have one of the largest nations in the world. That's just pure evil. And if you join them with all the other nations, and you join them with all the other people, even in the United States and everywhere else, that are following a path of at least darkness and not evil it's about half of the world. Oh, that's a scary thing. And if you say, well, you used to say it's only going to be a couple, maybe a billion or a billion of people, that's still a very large number. I still say that. I'm not saying that all these people will succumb and be destroyed. That could happen, but I I think that a billion, billion and a half people could easily that could be true. I mean, look at what, what's going on in the East right now. It could, you could have hundreds of millions of people, if not well over a billion people, dying at one time. One time being like in a month or two or three. I mean, it's a really seriously bad outcome. So all these things lead me to believe that we've got a hundred years at most. And there's a good chance that within 30 or 40, we're going to pretty much know where this is all going. So that's within the time that we're working. And I can tell you right now that, you know, we'll be extremely sad. I will be, and I believe all the people I'm working with will be, if we just can't can't solve this by the end of our life, this lifetime. Because by the time we come back, it really won't matter. There's a, the time span and other things that will make it impossible to change. And I don't know if all of us will even stay here in this world if, if things go that badly. So there might not, this could be our last lifetime here anyway. Uh, if we do come back, it probably be done more than one more time. And I don't know what we would really do in that world that we'd, we'd be looking at. I can't imagine living in communist China. <laughs> or half of the countries in Europe, or, for that matter, or possibly a good part of the rest of the Middle East and East. The no, whole place is crazy. I don't know where sanity really is, because it's we're losing it here in the United States. So how do we solve where we are for today? Well, if you want to really make a difference in terms of the kundalini issues you've got to be respectful that you have a conflict in your bodies about it and you've got to be extremely cautious by investigating inside yourself what is happening you can do this with your senses because kundalini greatly distorts your senses so as you learn the mistakes you make and, and acknowledge them you learn about the defeats in your senses. That leads to understanding where the Kundalini has arisen incompletely or wrongfully, assuming that you are a spiritual disciple at all. If you're not yet a spiritual disciple, you may just be dealing with the forerunners to, the, to raising Kundalini, which is just your senses are diminished every time you're selfish. So you're leading a life in which year by year, you lose so much of your sense, you're just not, you're not even there. A lot of people fall in that category. So you can work on yourself to change it, but you've got to recognize that that's what you're trying to change, and you've got to listen maybe to the shows like this so that you can get some feedback on what to do. If you can, joining a spiritual group can be somewhat helpful, especially if you're only a first-level initiate because the chances are of having some level of improvement. It's very hungry. It's just a very much... Imp- but maybe 10%, that isn't a lot. I know a lot of people say, well, if I'm going to do all that, I want more than 10%. But 10%, believe me, for one lifetime, is. is I mean, just think about it. It's a lot. 10% is one-tenth of 100%, right? Well, that isn't so bad. Per lifetime? When people spend up to 60 lifetimes in the astral uh, arena trying to solve the second initiation problems, Oh, that's way more, way more than 10 lifetimes. Way, way more than 10%. And we're talking that, just think about that. They're almost always going backwards rather than forwards. That's a bad thing. And then there's a lot of people who might start off as a first-level initiate and literally not even go on to become a second-level initiate. They do it for a while in a couple of lifetimes, and then they literally fall down. They don't. They can't maintain even the level of consciousness they built up in the service of a. It's usually just group service that you're doing with a bunch of other people. Sometimes hundreds or thousands of other people you are working together with, but it's not much use. It doesn't really help people to move in a direction that uh they almost lose as fast as they get it but it's still worth trying and if you haven't ever i would say think about it read what i've written about it listen to shows about it here and elsewhere other people's shows and try, try on that idea if you need assistance you can contact our group we will help anybody Not necessarily to become part of our group, but maybe to to do more spiritual things in a less demanding environment and get through some of the problems and fears that people have about it. Particularly if you are a person listening to this, which is probably not too many, uh, who is highly progressive and has some question about what you see going on among others of your kind, including maybe. You participated in, him and now you're wondering. Uh, contact us. We have, we can have an open conversation about it. And uh, again, if if you follow through on some very simple exercises that you develop over time and test these things out, uh, you can find out if what I'm saying is true. Because you don't have to you don't have to believe anything I say. You've got your own senses, you've got your own life choices you can make, and you can test it yourself. And all we would be would be a resource in telling you how to test in a certain particular situation and way to come up with your own conclusions. That's the way I prefer to teach, actually, because it's the one that works the best. People come to their own conclusions. They're not told what things are. They find it out. And you say, wow, I either believe or find it true what this guy said or I don't. Okay, no big deal. <laughs> What's big about it is that uh, it could make a cha- such a significant change for the rest of your existence. It's worth a shot. And it's, it keeps you open-minded. And you can say, wow. Well, I listened to this guy, I read something he wrote, I sent a letter and wanted to know more about this. And I did some of that stuff, and these were the results. Whatever you found. Now, what about the few who are getting out of the second initiation? They've convinced themselves enough to, to reach a state of, humility, which is very important, and a state of being willing to make whatever changes necessary to be of service to others. If you're one of those, yeah, you should look for a group like ours because that's where you can really do something. You could become a
2: real
0: we'll say, dynamic person in helping to eliminate evil in the world and bring about light everywhere. And that's a wonderful thing. You could save the lives of countless people who would be imprisoned by evil. When I say saving life, I don't mean staying alive. I mean where that life is not destroyed in its usefulness and meaning because evil does not want to kill people. He wants to enslave them. There's a big difference. If they have to, they will kill, or at least they'll have someone else kill for them. But they they prefer enslave them because they don't get anything out of a dead person. <laughs> it really doesn't work for them. They need people alive who will do their bidding and do what they want. And that's what we're contending with when we have these issues. What else can we do about the inevitability of trying to raise all three kundalini energies and have them twist in the proper order and in each body at the right angles so that the light continues to flow through the kundalini energy and it gets rid of all the negative garbage and it becomes a beacon of light to everybody else in terms of actions of service. And these actions always have with it, the idea of elevating consciousness. And the process of dealing with Kundalini that way, uh, requires extreme discipline and diligence because there is not much room for a Kundalini twist, we'll call it, that is out of phase. Phase is the angle your relationship to God and that's the biggest problem people have, saved it from last in the show actually uh, because if you're going to have the right angle angles okay the Kundalini uh, is only a is only a source of life and has no deadly aspects. How do you change it? So that is the way. Well first of all, the people that you co-serve with have to work on it together, okay? So you can't just say, well, I'm going to do it alone without anybody else in my group or groups. So you've got to work together. Then again, you've got to look at your phase relationship in terms of the ratio with God and the ability to retune yourself uh needs some additional information, which you will find if you choose to, uh, in license and meaning, because I actually give all the numbers, and that helps a lot. But in addition, you can test it without doing any math or trying to figure out angles and things that you may find difficult to understand. By comparison, you can use a comparative method. Uh, you need to find someone who is somewhat doing it right, And that will help you to use their methodologies somewhat for yourself, at least in terms of what is the correct phase relationship. You say, well, I thought everybody has a different phase. They do, because they're selfish. But if they're becoming God's phase, which is what kundalini ultimately is, its purpose, okay, you're now joining with your creator, uh that's a whole other can of worms because now it's you can't just say well i got this thing figured out i'll just be this guy (laughs) no you you have to become part of god's plan that means you have to have enough consciousness to understand what god wants and be willing to give up anything about yourself to align with that phase relationship then your kudalini will only be perfect and it will not create the nightmare problems that we talked in the first half of this show. And so you have you have that as your ultimate goal. And there are a whole bunch of ways, a whole bunch and many more that can be developed, of doing this very thing. The most critical element is that the service that you provide always has to be at the maximum available Uh, consciousness, givingness, love, as you are capable of doing, and that serves the other person to do the same. Once you reach that goal in anybody, you have accomplished the results of what this is intended to be, which is an act of creating God here. God does exist here in abstraction. But you become one of its instruments of creating it in real form. And the form is the very Kundalini itself. Now, hopefully you understood what I just said, but if you don't, you can look it up in the in the meeting because it's all in there It can tell you more about what I'm saying tonight. Uh, what else can you do? Well, there are some processes where it's better to have a team of people than anything on an individual scale. So again, you get into the group factor, but you should probably look at this from, if you are in a group with diversity, where not everybody's at literally the same level, which is unusual if if that were true, then you combine people's abilities together. So you reach the balance that you're looking for to solve the question of the problem, which is, in this case, in all these cases is always helping others to serve better in the best way possible. And those others could be in your spiritual group or they can be as vast many number of people as possible that you can help. And that is your goal. Now if you can achieve that goal, you will have no retained kundalinis, you'll have no retain any other energies, you will disband or destroy all the webs between your bodies? You'll say, what? I thought that's bad for you. No, no, no. In the final stages, it's good for you. As a matter of fact, you're going to have to do it eventually because you won't you won't be able to become a member of the next kingdom unless you do that. So you have, you have to get rid of these things, but you do it through service. And the service has to go through your group of groups that you're co- cooperating with. And if they are failing, then you're going to fail. Because you can't do it independently. So you all got to work together. And if you're a teacher, that's a real big problem. Because then you're even more, there's more karma that comes from that negativity than anything else. But it can be done. And if you're conscientious, and the group is working fairly well together, then you can define how each person can most be a service in every circumstance. And even though you may not be directly functioning with them, it's still basically a team approach, if you want to call it that. Now, in some circumstances, I'm going to tell you, this is no easy formula. I mean, some days it might work and some days it might not because people are still not perfect about their emotive Issues and how many glamours they have, and they're definitely not perfect about their egotism, or we'll just say, in some cases, arrogance. If I don't think people could really be arrogant very much in this, if they were talking about it in terms of the way I'm describing it now, but certainly egotism is a major factor that gets in play. And as you break those apart, the the need for the bodies to be separated goes away, and so the separation of retained energies, that's all they are, is retained energies and selfishness, just disappear. Good things come when you do that. If you get rid of those, uh, you become a better teacher by far. You become a better everything by far. And the chances of will say the dark side having much of an effect on you are virtually zero. But you got to work with the other people. And sometimes they may become a real hindrance, and then there could be some harm that comes to you from others, not from you, but from others, because we're all one, and that's just the way it works out. So you got to be willing to handle that. Some loss of sense can immediately arise or some significant destructions can immediately happen in your bodies because others that you're observing with may be off that day or that week or month. And so you can have that occur and still not get, we'll say, yourself involved in their problems. You're not going to say, "Well, I'm going to fight them back. I'm not going to give to them." I'm like that. All is nonsense. Then you're just being like they are, and the whole thing is just a, just a battleground of craziness. So you've got to absolutely not have that happen to you. But and particularly if you do get rid of these barriers, you better never do that
2: again because
0: it could be very fatal. So the barriers are there for a reason. So don't you don't kill yourself. Once you get rid of them, you better. Be almost perfect in everything you do, or you will kill yourself. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the way it is. I can't, I can't describe it in any other way than the way it is. You know? and, and a lot of people say, well, boy, that's very tenuous. I don't know if I want to keep going on in this spiritual stuff, because somewhere down the line, it sounds like I'm going to get killed a few times just trying to be a good guy or a woman. And that may be true. I'm not going to disagree with you about that. Well, what's a lifetime here or there? I mean, you got to look at it in perspective. How many lifetimes are you going to really be here for? Well, there's a magic number, which isn't really the truth. It's about 777. I think somebody liked sevens a lot. But at any rate, let's call it 680 to maybe 800, who knows, something like that in the present world. It doesn't need to be that many. But that's how long a lot of people have to be alive because they screw up so, so many times and they make so many crazy errors. And as they end, come to the end of the process, they're killing themselves from Kundalini problems. So everything is coming into play. It's very difficult, very difficult to be alive here on Earth. This is no easy place. You couldn't have come to a more difficult place. Welcome to the hell. But you came here, we came here because this was the place to finally stand against evil and try to do something about it. I can believe there's a lot of us who, millions of people, who came here to literally put an end to what has been the horrors of our universe, particularly in the two lower dimensions where evil has terribly destroyed things. And it's working as hard as it can in the monastic, but it's it's not doing as well there. So that's the good news. Especially here on on Earth, it's made some successes, but it hasn't really won the battles as often as it thought it should. And Earth is one of the most difficult places to keep the dark side from overcoming the mental world, which which would end Earth because the planetary logos, would not the being who controls Earth. We're not put up with it and just say, well, I can get a big rock here in about a century or so, we'll just have it come in and whack Earth and that'll be the end of it. I mean, seriously, that could happen. Uh, there's other ways to destroy the solar system too, but that would be an efficient one to say the least. And we don't really have any defense about that in the physical world. We have no way of stopping it. I know people say, well, they're working on it. They come up with all these ideas. Well, if you've got something coming at you at using miles per hour at, say, 100,000 miles per hour, and it's the size of a, a small state or something, there's no stopping that. If it, if, even if it doesn't hit the Earth, but it gets close enough, it could change our angle of orbit. It could affect where the moon's going to be. I mean, it could do a lot of weird stuff, to say the least. And, it, and at the very minimum, it could scare everybody. But in the worst case scenario, if it's really coming here to destroy, it'll hit Earth. And Earth will fall will blow apart into billions of pieces. That's, we, we, will, we will end within a minute or two the whole planet is gone. Now, I might not saying it's a great thing, and believe me, I'm not in any way hoping that occurs, but it is an ultimate outcome if the planet goes evil. And I believe that's one of the scenarios that has been chosen. It's not the only one. There's several other ones. None of them are great for, for humans here. But I will tell you that I would prefer that earth be destroyed and become an evil world for a million years or something that, that would it'd be ridiculous to me that would be the worst possible outcome you know? so looking at it from that standpoint you know where am i do well, you know where i'm at <laughs> okay all right so uh, a couple other things uh, before i go so to speak uh if we really are going to change our levels, we'll call it, of cooperation and sharing, and we're going to change the way that we use this, these energies that are so helpful, if we do them right, then our best bet is to familiarize ourselves with all the signs of these outcomes that I'm talking about. Those signs are hard to describe because they fool you. I'll give you some examples. We think it's really good that we're taking care of all of the people who are breaking into the country and living in squalor and in, at least in Los Angeles and San Francisco, are developing typhoid fever and bubonic plague from the Middle Ages. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff, right? Really, really dangerous. We think it's okay because we got to save those people. We've got to save them because they're good people. They're just a little bit confused. Maybe they don't have as much you know, going for them as we have. And we should pay for this or that, help in this way or that way. And a lot of people think that way because they believe that that's what God wants. I'm not talking about people who are anti-God now. you got to understand, I'm, I'm, def- I'm defining a difference. And it's important to include these people as still being potentially believers, at least in a God. Now, people who don't believe in God and do the same thing are much more in trouble. But they are much more likely to, uh, in the near future, be taken over by evil. Now, what about these intermediate people? There's a large number of millions in this country who still say, I believe in God, because they really have a belief there's some type of God. They may not follow a certain religion or anything, or even if they do, they may be open to whatever. But they, at the same time, consider themselves or act as progressives. And they may also believe very strongly in a woman's right to choose death for a fetus at any age or whatever. But, but the point is, all those things uh, are in and of themselves the the, the rationale for a what we'll called misunderstanding about what I've talked about tonight, because. A person that has the right heart, but the wrong mind about something, and that's where these people are actually at, if you really think about what we're saying here, their problem isn't just common monastic, which is a typical answer for this thing, and they aren't necessarily even egotistical, and in very rare circumstances would they be arrogant, they they actually have a confusion between their astral nature and their mental body and the confusion has to do with what we'll called misunderstanding not a lack of having any understanding but having a misunderstanding of what love is you see we define love as givingness by not giving this with a purpose for others to become more giving themselves. The people that I'm talking about are very giving people. Some of them give more than the people who are more advanced than them. But unfortunately, they aren't attempting to help the people they're giving to to become more giving, which is the requirement in angels' wisdom and in existence itself. So that's where we have a real serious problem, particularly in the more advanced countries like the United States. There are people who, even if they don't believe in God or they believe in God, they want to give to other people, but they actually are not trying to help other people become more giving, just the opposite. The other people are actually becoming more selfish. And you could say, wait a second, that's kind of a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction. It's the reality of the situation. You can, as much as you choose to, you can say, well, wait a second. How in a hack is it that people who are wanting to give to others are really doing more harm to those other people than if they didn't do anything. And it's because they have this confusion. They don't understand what giving really is about. Giving must be to assist others to become more giving themselves. No matter what you give them, if it doesn't do that, you are not giving to them. And you're helping to destroy them, and they will be destroyed by what you're doing, and you're also destroying everybody else in the process. You're destroying the whole world by doing it. And there's a lot of people in that position. That particular position is the quandary of dealing with this kundalini problem, because some of those people have actually raised their kundalini from prior lifetimes. They would be considered maybe first-level initiates, some of them beginning second-level initiates. But the point is they have... They are, they are big givers. They really are. They just give wrongly. They are unwise. Unwise giving is more dangerous than not giving at all. Unwise giving is more dangerous than taking, than stealing from others. Wow. Because it, it destroys the love that other people have to be givers themselves, and they become more taking. That's a real danger, and this happening all the time. All you've got to do is turn on some of the more conservative news channels, and you'll see a lot of that happening. Now, the real danger is that we not know about this. And so I'm trying at this point with very little time left to bring in what is going to be the most challenge for people to deal with in terms of sense development and becoming more loving, et cetera. And you can say, okay, well, you said it, but what can we do about it? The answer is it's pretty straightforward. You have to raise the consciousness of the people who want to give but don't want to give so that others can give more. They just want to give. You have to raise it and you have to show them and explain to them in very significant terms and places the evil that they're doing. Once they are convinced that it's really wrong and they're doing great harm to people, They will be ashamed at the least, and they will be maybe grossly uh, uh, upset that they have made such fools of themselves and and done such horrible things when they were trying to be good and they were really being terrible. Feel some responsibility, which is what you want. When people take that responsibility, even though they've done bad things for a long time, even though they thought they were doing good things, but they're really doing bad things, at least then from that point forward, they will correct it. You can't go back and change the past, but you certainly can make a better future, and that's one thing that I think would make a huge, huge difference. Now, how are you going to get through to those people? I mean, you can't just stand on the street street corner and tell everybody, well, you know, you're. A false giver. You give just because it makes you feel better, but it doesn't, it actually makes other people more selfish. So you can't, you gotta stop doing it because it's a bad thing. Now, you probably aren't gonna get that far to convince people of that. So then what can you do? Well, here's an interesting idea. You get people to participate in experiments about it. You have you offer that they can sign off, sign up, and you're going to do a grand experiment in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, twenty other cities, and you're going to go there and x number of people are going to just be given to, and x number of people are only going to be given to if they are going to become more giving in the process, and they're going to be divided up, and then you're going to chart them, look at them for a year or two, and see what they do. How do they live? What changes are made in them and in others that they're close to and in others that they don't even know anything about? You will chart this. You, get, you might get a significant number of people willing to participate in something like that because they're probably going to say, well, it's really for science or it's really for this or that. I don't know if they'll really take it very seriously until they start seeing the results. But when they see the results and they say, "Holy, this is terrible i've been doing the exactly wrong thing, and i didn't even know it i I felt so good about myself in giving all this stuff to these people and now i've i've really made them a living hell. I made the country a living hell, and I made myself a living hell. so I would suggest that that would be an interesting way. And you could have thousands of people participate in this at a time. It doesn't have to be one person on one person. It just takes the right kind of communication devices. A computer would work well in this situation. You can give them various questionnaires and things, and you have them participate, and assign various tasks, well, to go, go here and check out how people are living this way or that way. They've been given this much See what the results were in terms of what they got, in comparison to what, to, what whether it even improved their life. If it improved their life, did it improve anybody else's life? You ask all these questions, and even if they only themselves do like fifty people, these person just looks at fifty people. That's a lot of a lot of people, by the way. Uh, it, it's a big experiment. And you will get people to, to, I believe, you can get people to come on board with that, particularly if you're like us and you get a reputation for trying to get to truth. And we may do something like this ourselves in not too distant future. We've got other things we've got to do right away, but it's certainly an interesting idea because that could save millions and millions of people, the people who are the bad givers, and the people who are being given to who are equally, even more selfish from the receiving. So everybody, we're going to undo all that selfishness from this grand experiment of uh, enlisting the very people that you might consider on the other side from you, or not. Maybe you're one of them in listening to the show. That's okay. We still love you we're trying to give you what you need to be a better giver. We're not trying to just give you something. Now, I won't send you anything. I won't make your life more wealthy, happy, or well. Nothing about your life. But I will help you to help other people be better givers. That's what I'm willing to do. And that's what I want you to be willing to do if you fall into that class of people. Those millions of people that are in that class, maybe it's in tens of, I think mean it is in tens of millions of people are in that class, uh, could be turned around. Maybe in as short a time as a year. So an interesting grand experiment done nationwide, but in some places where it's more prevalent is where we would start at, And you can change the lives of huge numbers of people. Remember, we're also changing in this same scenario. We are changing the people that we're being given to in ways that don't help them to give. It doesn't help them. It hurts them to do that. And those people, uh, granted, they're not going to be real happy about it. They're going to say, well, I want a new set of clothes. I'm living on the street, but I need more clothes. Uh, Well, I I need transportation to get to and from nowhere. I need, I need this, I need that. I need food. And then I want the kind of shelter I want. It could be a tent in the middle of whatever, a park, or maybe you can give me a small place to live in when I feel like it, and then I'll go visit my friends in the park anyway. But, you know, that's what, that's what they're looking for. And you say, no, I'm not going to give you that. Who are you, <clears throat> you going to serve if I give you anything? Well, I have to serve myself. Well, then you don't get nothing from me.
2: Well, that's not fair. Of
0: course it's fair. It's more than fair. It's what's wrong is to give to someone who is just going to take because they become more and more dark, more and more evil, more and more unable to be an advanced human. They're turning them into a wild animal, basically, of sorts, who literally lives like one. It's so scary. It really is. I'm hoping that this show has come to some level of help in getting people to recognize why these issues that are seemingly so out there, like kundalini and raising and lowering and this, are really practical ways of understanding our world and God. And realize that they were put here, they were created to help us make ourselves become a soul. Not to help us enjoy life or to even love our friends and neighbors. But to live a life of a soul and souls are the beings who choose to always give that which will help others To give even more. That's the soul. And the soul's mission is to help the human to become part of it, not vice versa. Souls do not need to become part of people. People need to become part of their soul. And hopefully that has made a difference for you. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And you know a lot more about this topic, which is a complicated, difficult one for most people to understand. And I hope it will make a difference in the rest of your life as you think about this and maybe make those changes that will lead to the incredible, incredible oneness that you can have with everyone else. By Being a soul. Until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is.